0: Hello and welcome to Stuffed, Stuff Magazine's very own podcast, where we are trying something new this week. We uh, at Stuff like to talk about tech news, pop culture news, all that sort of fun uh, pieces of writing that you like to consume on the website. We we like to talk about that here. I'm joined today by uh, Toby Shabshak, my boss, editor in chief of Stuff Magazine. Toby, how are you this week? And and I'm
1: I'm assuming I'm good. Thanks. How are you?
0: I'm fine. Thank you for asking.
1: I'm assuming this new format is just
0: because I talk too much anyway. Yes. No. We're we, we're sort of adapting as, as we're going right. Uh, instead of you know discussing these these news pieces, I've assembled a host of topics that I I want you to talk about because okay, let's you're a, go. you're a wise man. You know a lot of things, and I. I I feel like it just works nicely. So what are we gonna do is, just to explain for people at home, I'm gonna bring up a topic, the latest piece of news in the past week, uh, and Toby's gonna to have seven minutes to talk about it. I'm going to ring a bell when he's hit five minutes, and I will ring it twice when he hits seven, and he has to stop talking. We can move on to the next topic. So without further ado, let's start with the first topic this week, which is Google threatening to leave Australia because Australia wants Google to start paying for the news that it is sourcing. What are your thoughts, Toby? Yeah, this is fascinating, isn't it? Because
1: uh, it's a huge bone of contention for many news publishers. And of course, the way it works is, is like this. Uh, Google has a... A search functionality specific to news. You can you can click on it at the top of the search results, a little tab, and it shows you just results for news. And it says to the news publishers that they will get a bunch of of traffic as a result of that. Now. There's a kind of fundamental problem with that. Sure, it's good to get traffic, but it's traffic that is controlled by Google using Google's algorithms, which are a black box to everybody else. Why does Google choose my story from Forbes as opposed to my story from Stuff? Uh, Why does it choose one publication over another publication? It gives a lot of credence to the first story of of a Series that goes up, and therefore, that publisher gets it uh, gets a prominence in the rankings. But of course, then there's the whole question of how do they rank the news? What's the most important? And publishers have a lot of, of difficulty with that, firstly. So, while they're grateful for the news, they have no idea how Google's doing it and what Google's doing it. So, there's a there, there is, in effect, a news gateway. Uh, before you even get to the publication, which which no one understands except Google's engineers, and secondly, Google's business model has itself been hugely destructive to these media organisations. There's a there's a, a, a habit of people saying, and, and we get this a lot of stuff. People say, well, you know, we can just spend the same money on on Google programmatic advertising, and we get a much further reach, and the rates are much lower. There's very little control that you have over such programmatic advertising. You know, you've had innumerable scandals with big-name companies discovering that their adverts are showing up next to YouTube videos of beheadings and that kind of thing. So, you have no control of of where or how that's going to appear. And secondly, the publishers get a fraction of the amount of money that they would if uh, if Google, uh, the, if they had got the advertising directly. So they only get a fraction of it. And it's, it's a negligible amount. You, you can't sustain a business on this. And and what Google's uh, kind of promised to the, the the publication industry and the, the, the news media has been that you will, you know, you'll get so much traffic and therefore you'll sustain yourself on advertising. Uh, no, you don't. You, the, 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 the revenue from digital advertising is, is significantly less than print advertising and has been for a long time. I think last year might have been something of a tipping point, but we just don't know yet. And the real problem is that uh, advertisers are just not spending as much money directly with the publications as they would because they're buying the Google programmatic advertising. And in the end result, the only person or the only participant in this whole system that's really winning is Google itself. Google is doing fantastically well uh, directly as a result of this and and how and where and what they're doing. No one knows. People are, you know, the relationship with the customer is not with the individual advertiser, all the publication. It's with Google, and all it does is entrench Google's power, it entrenches its monopoly in digital advertising, and, and it makes it harder and harder for news publishers to do what it is that we have to do, which is, you know... Sustain a business whilst providing the kinds of news that we do. So, um, what do you think is going to happen with Australia and Google? What's the outcome? Uh, it's fascinating to see because, of course, nobody's taken Google on in this way before, and everybody blinks before Google does. So, let's see. Australia has a, uh, their sports teams certainly have big match temperament. Let's see how this plan pans out. Because I quite expect the Australians to hold their ground. And if they do, Google has to make an incredibly difficult and potentially dangerous decision, which is, do they give in to one country? If they give in to one country, does it set a precedent to all the other countries? If they're giving in to one country, a benign democracy like Australia, I mean, it has its problems, but it is a functioning democracy. What happens if they get the same kind of pressure from uh, a more, uh, a less benign regime, you know, uh, that spies on its people? Um, you know, or wants access to people's Gmail. What, what happens? This sets some kind of precedent, whether they like it or not. But I'm really keen to see how this is going to play out. I suspect uh, Google's going to have to be in a position where it's going to have to make a call. And if it if it blinks and and accepts Australia's conditions, it's a precedent. And if it pulls out, that's even more utterly remarkable uh, and let and then let's see what happens to fill that vacuum we're going to have a a scenario where instead of googling it you're going to have to duck duck go it or bing it um you know and what does that mean for access to all of google's other services gmail maps everything so this is going to be interesting grab your popcorn
0: good time Our next uh, topic to talk about for your seven minutes is the South African Revenue Service starting its own browser just for it, because it does not want to use Flash, it can't use Flash, so you have to now download a separate browser. What are your thoughts on this? Go. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's, it really has opened up the receiver of revenue to an enormous amount of criticism. And unfortunately, it is true. I do have some sympathy because, um, you know, do you remember the, the woman who was the head of IT who spoke at the Zondo Commission? It wasn't last year, I think it was the year before. She was so patently unfit for the job uh, and just had no idea whatsoever. I mean, she was the woman who infamously said in that SABC interview, and they were really softball questions. She said to the, the, the interviewer, please may you protect me from yourself. You, you know, you're asking too many difficult questions. And and that was the problem. They've had, you know, part of the state capture um, methodology was to hollow out all of the important functioning state institutions law enforcement the receiver of revenue and get rid of all the competent people so you know if she was the person running the IT for the last few years no wonder they've missed all of these deadlines and no wonder they failed to understand that you know flash would just stop working completely um it's kind of inexcusable for for any organization no matter what to be left in this situation i mean fnb's business banking for at least the first five or six years we used it was a terrible dog show of java and java certificates and and uh, getting your computer your individual computer and the individual browser certified it was a never-ending nightmare that we always struggled with there was a there was a there was one point where um, I couldn't get access to the desktop site for at least a year and I could only use my app my f b app to do it it was, it was terrible and that's been some of the solutions but what's what the problem is 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 i think no one at the receiver thought about looking in the private sector and seeing what solutions are there because banks have exactly the same issue banks know how to verify users who are going to transact with you know very uh, importance and therefore requiring the utmost security banks know how to do this uh, there's a vast industry that knows how to let its its uh, its users interact securely and safely and and easily, you know. So I think it's a bit of a I think it's I mean it's a spectacular fail on the uh, the receiver of revenues. I mean you never want to really criticise them, do you? You kind of want to like insert in brackets my tax affairs are up to date. I swear I promise. Um, uh, but yeah, you just can't do it because. The tax authority itself has a zero-tolerance policy. So if you are a a day late, an hour late with your VAT or your other filing, you get charged 10% immediately. Um, So they have a, a, a pretty hard line with their customers. What does it now mean for those customers who can't interact? Will they be penalized? Hopefully not. But also, you know, I mean, if anyone from the Receiver of Revenue listens to this podcast... You know, call F&B, call APSA, call those brilliant guys in Stellenbosch, Intellect. They do identity uh, establishment and identity verification for APSA, as far as I remember, and Nedbank, I could be wrong, but they are really excellent. You know, you, you the receiver of revenue could do something really quite dramatically different and better because this is a, a vital service and, you know, the 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 things you could do are really quite spectacular i'd call michael your don and say listen um how would you do this you know if you can set up a a whatsapp like digital bank and rain and all these other things i mean there's a there's a lot of expertise and and how to do this efficiently okay i think
0: i think i think we should do five minutes from now on actually because seven minutes is very long we'll do five minutes Let's talk about Safisum Gadi, who is the KZN District Councillor, who suggested that the 5G towers in KZN are causing the coronavirus, and the vaccine is going to be making people sicker. What are your thoughts on this? On this man, and why hasn't he been arrested? Uh, just unbelievable.
1: I mean, he's an Itagwini counselor uh, the new name for Durban if if you don't know and and I mean his comments were just mind-bogglingly like just dumb I don't know how else to say it but just mind-bogglingly stupid first in you know logic only these kind of conspiracy nuts can handle first he claims there is no such thing as COVID he says this disease it is not COVID we're getting this thing from 5G towers installed during this period in preparation of the second wave. Now, apart from calling for all the 5G towers in and, Etiquini and, and to be disconnected, he just shows his complete lack of, of just scientific understanding. Because, you know, 5G conspiracies have long since been disproved. They were you know disproved year after year that the the world health organization for instance reviewed uh something like 25,000 articles that have been published in the last 30 years. This was in a report in 2002, and this fact sheet said it had looked at all of the biological effects and medical applications of non-ionizing radiation. So that's radiation that we can see. It's the, it's the kind that doesn't destroy molecular bonds. It's It's our visible light. It's radio waves. It concluded that there was absolutely no confirmation of health risks. so why so many people point to you know the health risks of 5g is that in in 2011 world health organizations international agency for research on cancer classified mobile phones as quote possibly carcinogenic unquote okay but you know it doesn't (laughs) that's the same category that coffee and pickled vegetables are included in. You know, so it's it's completely absurd because, you know, as long as, as as the cell phone industry's been around, it's pointed out that some scientists said phones are as dangerous to our health as, as the radiation emitted by a banana. Um and, and what's even more Insanely irritating for me is that it's a criminal offence in South Africa to publish statements that quote the intention to deceive about COVID 19, the COVID 19 infectious status of any pers- person or any measure taken by the government to address COVID 19. Uh, this is according to the Disaster Management Act. Now, you could be fined or jailed for up to six months. Now, this is a criminal offence. Is someone arresting uh, our Tegwini councillor? Is Sir Ramaphosa showing us that he will, you know, weed out conspiracy lunatics? Uh, Absolutely not. You know, every time he has a, a state of the nation address, he reminds us of how important telecoms are to the future. And yet we still have an incompetent minister, in Stella and the Benny abrams uh, whose department thinks the solution to the SABC funding problems uh, is to classify mobile phones as televisions. Therefore... <laughs> they can bill every cell phone owner of SABC license fee. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. Then the next, uh, the next dumbest idea they had was trying to get Netflix or Amazon Prime to uh, collect the license fee or DSTV and Showmax to collect the TV license fee. I mean, it's just completely absurd. It just shows you how utterly out of touch our communications department is, that this is what the deputy minister's even thinking about Pinky Kakana, and yet she was one of the many people implicated by the the man arrested for the Free State asbestos scandal, um, the kingpin of that. And she was she her name, along with Health Minister Drs. William Keezer and several other prominent AC figures. They, you know, her name appeared in this list. And has there been any difficult? Has there been any? Sign of 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 accountability? Absolutely not. But then again, you know, this is the ANC. Ace Magashule is facing fraud and corruption charges. So is Bongani Bongo, the former uh, cabinet minister who now chairs uh, a, 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 you know chairs a parliamentary committee. Um, why should why should uh, anyone else in the ANC be sanctioned? Certainly not a, a lowly uh, you know city councillor who's just um, you know. Hunting 5G conspiracy theories. I mean, if if anyone burns down a 5G cell phone marked in Durban or, or KZN, is he criminally responsible for inciting violence? Can we impeach him? No. I mean, I wish we could impeach um, the minister and deputy minister in the communications department and replace them with someone uh, who has an unsullied integrity record, hasn't been caught breaking... COVID regulations in the first few weeks of lockdown and uh, actually can do something to drive the thoroughly, utterly important telecommunications sector. Does it show that I'm a little bit irritated by this?
0: Just a little bit. Nice. Very good.
1: This is, after all, a, a, a brand that embraces...
0: Technology, Technology. Right? Yes. So
1: what is that spectacular laptop I see you this using? This
0: is the Asus ZenBook Duo. It's uh, the newest sort of dual-screen laptop that Asus is putting out into the world. And I have got to tell you, it is absolute magic. The specs I'm inside this thing are ridiculous. And the fact that it comes with, with not only one touch screen but two touch screens two separate screens is well, just describe
1: wide. it it's got a, it looks like a it looks weird laptop.
0: it looks like something out of star trek right it's got your main sort of screen your monitor that would be a monitor uh, on the back and just below it above the keyboard there is a second screen of half the, half the size that f- folds up when you open the laptop. So it stands just a little bit higher than your main screen, and you can drop down whatever you're working uh, seamlessly onto either screen. So you can you use it, it as a second, a very long, narrow screen.
1: Very long, narrow screen, but, which but is you perfect. Say, I, I mean, I've been watching you use your messaging apps in
0: there, and yeah. chat apps, and... Yeah, my, 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 the, biggest, the biggest thing I've found for it is that I can drop Telegram, I can drop Slack, WhatsApp, whatever, onto the bottom screen. I can keep working uh, on whatever I'm writing at the top, and keep informed and up-to-date with all the apps down below, without having to minimize and drop windows and move things across one another, it is genuinely a really cool feature. And I'm amazed that only Asus are making these things, as far as I know.
1: It really does look of a handy
0: it's it's magic it really um, is magic it's seriously over
1: specced i see
0: yes no it's running with a, a, a core i7 it's got, in, I it's got intel's new um, gpu sets which are way more powerful than they have any right to be it's a real treat of a computer like asus has, has outdone themselves with this thing i see you've also been playing around with the new toy indeed and, and it's
1: this uh, samsung galaxy s21 ultra 5g um, and it is spectacular. I really think this is the, certainly the most powerful smartphone the world's seen yet um, until the next launches, obviously. But, you know, for, for the next six months at least, this is really spectacular. The 5G speeds, of course, are the thing that I, I wanted to test first, um, and they are. I mean, I, I played with the S20 last year, this is just so much better. It's, it's it's they've just found a way to to make the the interface you know slightly slicker. Uh, the camera quality gonna is ask mind-boggling. About the 108, uh, a hundred and eight megapixel camera that gives you a hundred times zoom. Really amazing. I mean, we've you know zoomed in on all sorts of things. Look at stuff that's here. That's there. Brett Fent has done a great review, and and in fact, last year's. Uh, S20, Marseille did a great one, a review on the Ultra, zooming in on the the Hilbert Tower mm. um, from from the steps of ENCA. It was really quite something. So uh, great, really great camera. What I really think is is um, quite interesting is that you can shoot a video and it's an 8K video. So it's incredibly high res. But you can capture still images from that, which is really great. I like that functionality. You know, you see really great moments as you're shooting uh, pictures. I, I basically am the personal photographer to one three and a half year old son. Um, but the slow-mo, Brad, it's just awesome. Mm. Uh, I forget how many uh, frames per second. It's something like 960. It's unbelievable. It's, uh, it's ultra, ultra slow-mo. You know, the trick is get really big, broad action, jumping in a puddle, running with legs, you know, uh, big movement, and record like three seconds. That's really what, what you need. Like, what I do can you- tell from endless experimentation but it's it's fantastic and it's you know it's almost trite to talk about such an amazing phone based merely on the cameras but if you think about it after all the messaging that we do which i suppose does include email and uh social media and and messaging apps like whatsapp and telegram and a lot of people watch things on their phone as well yeah um, but apart from that the next big thing that everyone uses is the camera. Mm. You know, it's turned us all into photographers. But the, the, just the sheer power of this. I mean, the portrait setting is, is spectacular. It highlights the, the, the subject and blurs the background. Just really fantastic. Makes all of us a much better photographer, I mm. should say.
0: Not to, not to go on too long about it, but I've been playing with the Galaxy S21+. Plus which is the middle child between the base 21 and the 21 Ultra. And the thing that stands out to me most about it, and I'm reminded every time I come back to a modern Samsung, a new Samsung, is that they probably, they have some of the best screens in the business. Their displays are
1: wildly good. 120 hertz, this one. Mm, Yeah, i mean, the refresh rate is is fantastic. I've been watching some Netflix on it and some showbacks. Really awesome. And I, and I, 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 you know, I've, I'm, I suppose it's partly my job but i you know i have a big television in my lounge and yet just to test the technology i watched it on the phone and it's the imagery is unbelievable it's
0: and and the the actual quality of the display the colors are amazing i believe that the ultra has an amoled screen as well which makes all of those those vibrant colors pop and the blacks really dark it's it's a beautiful display no one does it better right now i think
1: No one does it better. What's that that James Bond movie?
0: Nobody does it better. There you go.
1: There you go. Well, thank you for joining us. This has been the Stuff Podcast. We're going to let Brad play you out with his James Bond impersonation. Please uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to read up on any of the things we've been discussing, there are endless articles, podcasts, videos, and more on stuff.co.za.
0: Thanks Thanks for listening. I'm Sean Connery.